Good, thank you. Well, you don't have to shout out by faith whenever I mention faith. <laughs> well, I suppose you could, but I prefer you not to. Anything else you can shout out. Um, if you want to look at the passage, it's on page 1209 uh, of the Church Bibles nearby, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be uh, referring to it. So if you're not one of these people who can remember something you've just read on a screen instantly, then you might like to have the Bible open there uh, in front of you. Well, as, as we've heard, this is the last of, of a series of Bible kind of teaching, Bible learning times uh, on the life of Abraham. It's from the Old Testament of the Bible, the first part of the Bible, and it's an amazing story of how God gets involved in a man's life. A man, actually, who came probably from Iraq, who becomes, uh, as God takes him and uses him, a really key part in what God's going to do in rescuing the human race. A great plan is in action. God is going to be doing good stuff, and he's going to do that through Abraham uh, and his family. And God gets involved in Abraham's life in an amazing way. He comes into a relationship with God, and then he keeps walking with God, journeying with God right through uh, the whole of his life. And this chapter in Hebrews 11 is about faith. It's about uh, how God's people in the past, at the time this was written, it was written in the, after Jesus was born and died and went back to heaven. This chapter 11 of Hebrews is written to believers in Jesus who were finding it really tough to keep going. And the writer to this book of Hebrews talks to them about, about faith and how their faith, which seems so weak and seems so difficult, can be helped as they look into the stories of the people who came before in history. Because their journeys were very similar. Life hasn't changed that much and following walking with God isn't that different today to what it was in Abraham's time. We live in a different kind of a world and we've got different kind of stuff. We've got Facebook and all of that kind of thing. Don't think you could tweet Abraham. That would be interesting if you had a historical tweet kind of arrangement. We can't do that. But the, the essentials of their lives, their relationships, as uh, Rachel said earlier, their families, it's all just like us in so many ways. So we're trying to learn some stuff from, from these people. And here in chapter 11, we hit, read about Abraham being a great example of faith. And in this chapter 11, the writer to the book of Hebrews looks back over Abraham's story. And he talks about four key points on his journey. And at each of those points on Abraham's journey, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look at how faith worked out in Abraham's life at these very key points. And there are lessons for us, I think, in this. It will help us to review Abraham's life. We've covered it all, but we'll look at these four big events in this passage. So hopefully if you've missed a few, or all of it, maybe you'll get a big picture of Abraham through that. It's a chance to catch up. But uh, as we look at these key events, in one sense, they're, they're like action replays. These four events are the greatest goals Abraham scored, as it were. And what the book of, writer to the book of Hebrews is saying, have a look at the replay of these goals and see what you can learn, see what happened. And that's what we're going to do, a bit of goal analysis and find out. Faith was like this for Abraham. What could it be like for us? So here's the first thing. It's in verse 8. What's the first thing? Abraham is called to go. First thing, Abraham made a move. That's the first part of Abraham's story. Do you remember that? 
He's living his life in Ur, a place over in Iraq, and, and then he moves to another place called Haran, and God speaks to Abraham and tells him that he wants to be in relationship with him, he wants to be his friend, he wants to be part of his life, and he wants him to leave where he is and go somewhere else where God is going to tell him. That's what happens. He tells Abraham that he's going to bless him and he's going to make him a central part of God's plan to rescue the whole human race. And that through Abraham, just loads, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are going to be touched and brought into the knowledge of God through his descendants, through Abraham's descendants. That's what Abraham is told. And Abraham's told to respond to this by leaving, by going somewhere else. Now that seems crazy. You know, he doesn't know where. It says that, doesn't it, here in verse 8. When Abraham called, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It was a, a crazy thing to do, in one sense. All he had was God's word for him. But he believed it, and he acted upon it. He obeyed, and he went. And each time, as we look at each of these goals that he scored, as it were, with God's help... Each time, the writer in Hebrews reminds us that there was something in the kind of event that was saying, this is ridiculous, this is impossible, you can't do this. And yet each time, Abraham is able, by faith it says, to overcome that and to go forward, to press on with God in that. He obeyed and went. And Abraham's response to God in this way is called faith, as we all said. By faith. That's how he did it. So what does faith involve for Abraham? Well, first of all, it involves being obedient. Believing God and acting upon that belief. It says here, Abraham obeyed and went. He did what God said. Acting upon belief. What does it mean for us to have faith? Well, the same thing. When you become a Christian... When you become a follower of Jesus, it's like that. In fact, in the New Testament, in Romans 1, verse 5, I think it is, you will read that when Paul talks about, the Apostle Paul went around telling people how they could become Christians and know God, he talked about that process as being the obedience that comes through faith. Hearing what God says, understanding that Jesus has something to say. Jesus tells us that we need to be brought into relationship with God. Jesus tells us about the good news of God's kingdom, that God can be the king of our lives and change our lives and change the world through us, actually, just like Abraham. Jesus tells us that God, that our life can be in God's hands. Jesus tells us that we can be forgiven for our sin and rebellion. Jesus tells us that he gives us life in all its fullness. Jesus tells us a whole load of things you read in the Gospels. He tells us that we can have eternal life. What do we do? Well, we believe what he says and we act upon it. We make a move. The Bible says we repent, we change our mind, we go in a new direction. We kind of do what Abraham does. We don't go off into a a far-off country, but we change our lives and we go. We're not quite sure where he might be going, but we trust him enough to say, yes, God, I'm repenting, I'm trusting you, I want to start this new life with you. Our life starts off and starts moving in another direction. So that's the first big goal, okay? See in the action replay? What happens next? Verses 9 and 10. What's the next big goal that Abraham is able to score? Well, by verse 9 says, 
By faith, here it is again, he made his home in the promised land. Abraham, secondly, not only did he make a move, he lived on a promise. That's an interesting idea. He lived in this promised land. He'd been promised that he could have this land one day, or rather his future descendants could have it to live in. He'd been promised, uh, and, and what Abraham did was go and live there himself for a while. Well, in fact, for the whole of his life. Again, it's something that he does. And again, it's crazy. Abraham, well, have you got this land, uh, land or not? Well, you're going to live there, but it's yours, is it? Well, you're living there, but, you know, there's a lot of things that, that don't seem quite right, are there? And that goes on for generations, it says. His son Isaac and his son Jacob were the same. For generations, these guys who'd been promised this land lived there in tents. It says here they lived like uh, a stranger in a foreign country, although it was the land that they'd been promised. It's ironic, isn't it? I don't know if you remember you've seen these old Western films to reveal my background, I suppose. You know, when settlers in the Wild West films, they go in their wagons, and what do they do as soon as they land in the bit of land that they're going to have? They build their log cabin or whatever it is, don't they? They kind of stake their claim and they make their home. What does Abraham do? He lives in a tent the whole time. He doesn't make a home. He doesn't, he doesn't do that because in one sense he couldn't because although God had promised it to him, he was kind of there as a, as a guest. He didn't have the deeds to the land. He didn't have anything from the government that could say, that bit of land is yours. You can, you can build your house on it. He was waiting for God to fulfill his promises. He was living on the promise. He did that by faith. He believed what God had said, and he lived on it. So for Abraham, faith is not just obedience, it was that to start with, but it's also following through. And you know, for us in our Christian walk with God, our journey with God, we kind of live on promises, don't we? We live on the promise of all that God will do. We know the forgiveness God has given us, but we still struggle. We know that one day we will be completely healed and one day the the world will be put right. But we don't see that yet. There are some things that God graciously does and touches us. He gives us a a taste of of healing or wholeness or whatever it is. But but we're still waiting for the promise. Jesus promises uh, that we'll be with him forever, that we'll be part of a new kingdom, that the whole universe is going to be recreated and we'll be part of that. But we're not there yet, are we? We're waiting, we're living on that promise, but we follow through, we keep going, we live differently, trusting God for what he's promised, even though we're not quite sure how it's going to work out. We can trust him for the outcome, but we, you know, we're still waiting for it. What's the third goal in uh, Abraham's life in verses 11 to 12? Here's a third big event, goal number three. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. Actually, it's more accurate to read the NI footnote. By faith, even Sarah, who was past age, was enabled to, to bear children because she believed the promise. Actually, Sarah, although she couldn't get it at first, she came round, and Hebrews says she believed that God could um, 
do what he had promised. So here's the third event then. God's blessing to the nations is going to come through a son of Abraham and Sarah. It's promised, but nothing happens. And we heard about all the kinds of ways that that was the story somebody mentioned about how Abraham tried to help, or Sarah tried to give God a bit of a helping hand to to meet his promise. But God had a clear idea, a clear promise. The son was going to come through through Abraham and Sarah. And again, you could say, this cannot happen. It looks there, it says there in verse 11, verse 12. And so from this one man, and that woman as well, and he as good as dead. Uh, in, in reproductive terms, Abraham and Sarah were dead. You know, they, they had no, they, you know, they, they didn't have the, the kind of um, maturity, what, they passed childbearing age. They couldn't have kids. It was impossible. There's another of these impossible things that stands in the way. But what happened? Sarah overcomes the doubt. She believes by faith and they receive this promised son. What is faith? It tells us here. It's believing that God is faithful. God had made the promise. God would deliver on the promise. It says here that uh, uh, Sarah it was, or Abraham indeed, it was both of them I guess in verse 11, considered him faithful who had made the promise. God had made the promise, God would deliver on the promise he'd made. Now, are we in this kind of situation? Maybe not for children. But for us, we receive this miracle of new life, rather as Abraham and Sarah did. See, the third goal was that they received this miracle, this new life. We're dead spiritually, the Bible says. The Bible says we're cut off from God. The Bible says that we've got nothing we can offer God. There's there's no reason at all why there's anything in us that should enable us to, to know God and know his forgiveness and his love and all the good things he offers us. We're just hopeless rebels. We're we're out of it. We're finished. We're dead, it says. And yet it says also that through Jesus we can come alive spiritually. We can have new life. We can have that new relationship with God. We too, by faith, know what that means. God promises that. We believe him. We ask Jesus into our lives. We begin. We repent. We believe. A new life begins. We consider God to be faithful, to do what he's promised. And we receive the miracle of new birth. It's faith. We see it in Abraham in that physical sense. We know it too spiritually. Let's look at the fourth key event. What we had so far, Abraham moved out. He made a move. He did what God said. He obeyed him. He lived on a promise. He followed through in his life. He and Sarah received a miracle because they believed that God was able to do what he promised. And so this new life came into their experience. And what's the last thing? We had it last week. We read about it in verse 17 to 19 in Hebrews 11. Abraham stood up under the test. We heard about it last week. The climax of Abraham's story. Abraham is willing to let go of the very thing that his whole story had been about, as John reminded us last week. His son Isaac, the one that, that God had given him, the one that all of God's promises were kind of wrapped up in this son, who by now is probably a teenager or even older. He's called here in the passage of one and only. He, was, he wasn't Abraham's only son in that sense. He had Ishmael and possibly even others. But 
He was unique in the sense that he was the one that God had promised, the only one who was going to take God's purposes forward um, in his, uh, God's good hand, as it were. And again, it was impossible. How, how can he let go of Isaac, the very one that God had promised? How was that going to work? See, each time there's this kind of impossible element in it, each of these four events. But he is willing to let go. And he is willing to trust that God will provide, as we heard last week. And so he trusts God completely. And we know the story. God does provide. And uh, Abraham's faith is confirmed. And what about us? Do we need that kind of faith? We saw last week that we do. Faith to let go of everything that matters most to us and cling on only to God. Only to his provision, trusting him holding on to his purposes, letting go of our precious ambitions or our precious ideals, even the things that we believe God has given us. Even those things can become more important to us than God himself. We must be willing to kind of let go of those things and trust those things to God. That's part of our journey of faith. So are we able to trust God more than anything else? We won't actually know the answer to that until the testing times come. Abraham probably believed it in theory until the day God said to him, you know your son Isaac, I want you to take him up that mountain and make a sacrifice of him. And we know he didn't have to do that, God provided. Abraham didn't know that when he woke up in the morning. He just trusted God. Four key events. Faith is part of each one of them. So what do these key events tell us about what faith actually is? I want us to do a little bit of kind of goal analysis, if you like. You know, they do it on Match of Their Day, don't they? I watch it extremely occasionally, I have to confess. But anyway, you know, where they show which player was where and go through it and someone has a super pen and, you know, marks it all out. You know, I want us to kind of look through and see what is faith about as we look in, a, in once again over these events. Faith is part of each of them, we see, by faith, by faith, by faith. I didn't confer with Lou, but it's very helpful you did that, because it shows each one of them, by faith. Faith is a, a big part of it. What can we learn? Now, faith is mentioned five times in this passage. We, we said that. Again, it was great that you did that, because it's here, I was going to mention that. Now, there's another word that is used as many times in this passage as faith. Not Abraham, you know, not a name or something, but that may be used five times. But I'm thinking of another word like faith. Have you spotted what it is? Can you tell what it is yet? As Rolf Harris used to say. Anyone like to have a go? Promise. Promise, that's it. Promise is is used five times Connected to faith. Now, what's all that about then? We see the faith that Abraham has is not just a kind of vague thing, you know, a vague kind of feeling. It's faith in something. It's faith in someone. You have to have faith in something or faith in someone. You're exercising faith by sitting on the chair you're in at the moment. You're trusting that it's going to hold you up, so there you are sitting on it. Your faith is in the chair. 
I suppose the guy who made the chair, the wonderful maintenance team who arranged it for them all to be kind of cleaned and turned around and etc. But your, your faith is not just a vague faith, it's in something. It's in someone. And this passage is telling us that it's God who's made these promises and Abraham's faith and Sarah's faith is in God. That's not so strange. We, we make promises or we're kind of the receivers of promises and, and we act in faith on those promises all the time in our lives, don't we? You know, you, if you, you meet someone, you fall in love and you get committed to each other, and maybe say you get engaged, well, you promise that you're going to marry each other and so you live in the light of that promise. You know, you don't start going out with... Well, you shouldn't do anyway. You don't start going out with other people, say, because there's a promise being made... And you've made the promise to each other, and, and you live in the light of that promise. Same with, with marriage and other things. Same with any, actually, kind of interaction in, in our lives. We, we act in trust. You know, people think, it's impossible to have faith. Well, we have faith all the time. We, we trust ourselves to, to things and for, to people, to, to promises that people make. I suppose, technically, you could get a £5 note out of your pocket. What's written on, this, on, on it? It's, it's a promise on the, on the £5 note. I don't quite know how it works, but anyway, it's there. We kind of use promises all the time. Act on trust. See how this happens in Abraham's story. As I said, God tells him to go. That's faith. There's obedience. He lives in the land God promises. He lives in a tent. Why? Because God has promised something, and what God says takes priority. Verse 10 tells us about that. He was looking forward to the city with foundations. Now, that's interesting. What's this all about? Well, it's kind of saying that that Abraham knew that God had got purposes and God was giving him something that was more important than, than, than like where he lived in his tent, as it were. There was something more important. God's presence with him, God's commitment to him was going to be so much better. He's at home in this relationship with God. What God was doing for him was so much more important than, than, than the tent and the bit of ground he was on. His trust was, was in, in God. He was looking for something that God would do in the future. And, it, and the writer describes it as by comparing the tent with a city. Eternal reality promised by God matters more than his present situation, his present comfort. That's faith. And then we read that they consider that God is faithful to keep his promises. That's how Sarah got there. Trusting the one who makes the promises, knowing that God is able to raise the dead, it says here in in verse uh, 17. How did uh, he, uh, verse 19 rather, Abraham, when he went to take Isaac up the mountain, reasoned that God could raise the dead. (laughs) Even if it came to the point that he had to kill his son, that God would still raise him from the dead. Abraham believed that God could raise people from the dead. Now, have we got anything to do with that? Do we believe that God raises people from the dead? How do we know that? Because God has raised Jesus from the dead. We're actually the other side of it. Abraham kind of believed it and knew it. We know that we trust in a God who makes promises and a God who raises Jesus from the dead. It's not without foundation, this faith. So faith is not some special thing. Faith is about God. It's faith, as I said, in someone. I do a bit bit of motoring analogy here for you. You know what your clutch does? Those of us who've got cars that have clutches in them, 
the clutch is part of the car's engine, engine, you know. And what it does, it takes the power of the engine and enables it to be connected to the bits that make the wheels go around, okay? Uh, Is that right? Have I got that right? Usually I say these things, someone expert tells me, no, that's wrong, you got that wrong. Well, faith is a bit like a clutch. It connects us to God's power. You see, if you're in a great car, if you've got a great car, if you're in, you've got a, you know, bought one, uh, one, of the, one of the Jags opposite near where I live, and you're taking me for a ride in your new Jag, and we're really hitting good speeds, you know, uh, I don't turn around to you and say, that's a, that's a great clutch. I wish I had a clutch like that. If only I had your kind of clutch. I say, no, it's a great engine. The engine is what's taking you. It's not about the clutch, it's about the engine. The clutch is connecting the, the wheels and, the, and, and your experience to the power that's there. That's what faith is like. It was like that for Abraham. Is it just for Abraham? I'm going to stop in about one minute, so this is quick. Now, verse 13 talks about all these people were living by faith when they died. The writer to Hebrews 11 is going to be talking about loads of Old Testament believers. It wasn't just unique to Abraham. All the believers in the Old Testament, they, they lived by faith right to the point they died. See what it says. They all lived like Abraham. They all were waiting to receive what was promised, and so do we. But is it just a delusion? You know, Richard Dawkins says it's a delusion. It's wishful thinking. What possible grounds have you got to think these things? Is it like that? Shut your eyes and hope for the best? Well, no, because verse 13 tells us a little bit more, and I'm just going to point these in very, very quickly. What does it say in the second half of verse 13? These people saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, they really saw something in the Old Testament. It's a reference to the um, experience of Moses. You remember Moses? He wasn't allowed to go into the Promised Land, but God said, you can go up Mount Nebo. I've actually been up there, actually. It's a really amazing place. You can stand at the top, and uh, you can look out over, and you can just about see the River Jordan in the background. If it's a clear day, you can see it down to the Sea of Galilee. And and, uh, uh, Moses stood there, And God said, you're not going there, but you've seen it. It is there. It's not a figment of your imagination, Moses. It's real. It's there. You've had a glimpse of it. And it talks about these people welcoming. That they, it says they were longing for a heavenly country. There was something in their experience in the Old Testament. They knew, they knew it by faith, but they got a little glimpse of it in their experience as well. Is that true for us? What is the Holy Spirit described as? The down payment of our inheritance. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He gives us a glimpse of what's to come. He enables us just not to believe, because we know about the resurrection, but to have that kind of whisper in our own experience that this is true. It's not the only thing, but it's an important thing. We can know that. I was in Bangladesh once, uh, travelling in an auto rickshaw with one of my old colleagues there. And he'd been living there for all donkey's years, well, 15 years, seemed like a long time to me. And as we were bumping along a road, he said, it was getting hot, it was about January. He said, I can feel the warm, uh, the heat coming, I can feel it in the wind. I thought, it's just wind to me. <laughs> but he knew. 
And you know, there's something about what God has promised. We kind of feel it in the wind. The Holy Spirit, that sense of God's presence in our lives helps us to know. So we live by faith. We live our lives on the back of the promises of the God who is faithful. We're secure in knowing what he can do, in knowing what he has done. And we're encouraged by his presence in our lives, in our community. Sometimes, you know, there are times when we don't feel that. That's true. Sometimes we just have to hold on and trust God. Other times, the God reminds us that in our experience, that we belong to him. Are you going to believe what God has said, like Abraham? Are you going to act upon it? Are you going to obey Jesus? Receive his new life? Turn from what's wrong? Trust in him? Believe the gospel? Are you going to act upon it as he calls us to live on the basis of his promise? Are we going to realize that God has that encouraging kind of uh, experience of his love and his spirit that we can receive into our lives to encourage us along the way? Let's live our lives shaped by the eternal realities of God's purpose and God's promises. Let's live by faith. It's not just kind of, let's demystify faith and get on with trusting God because he is faithful to deliver what he has promised. Amen.